think several steps ahead. If this person says this, if this person says that, what do I do in case? Because as you solve one problem, two or three problems pop up. It's a constant battle to solve problems. And if I can think many steps ahead, I can be more efficient in solving problems. Hey, welcome to My Company Story. I'm your host, Don Burge. My Company Story is a podcast where I get to interview some of the most interesting business owners and CEOs about the challenges that they've faced and how they've overcome them. Enjoy the show. Hi, I'm here today with Dr. John Sue. John is the co-founder and CEO of a unique company called the iPill Dispenser. And the iPill Dispenser is a solution to the opioid crisis in the US. And John will tell you a little bit about his background and how he happened to get into trying to tackle this big monumental problem in the world. So John, welcome to My Company Story. Hi, Don. Thank you for having me. Pleasure sure, John, to be here. John, can you tell, tell the audience, if you can, a little bit about uh, your background? Now, you're a physician, I understand. And so tell us what you've been doing as a physician and how long and then what led to what you're doing right now. Sure. Thank you. Um, I've been a physician for 28 years. I practice anesthesia and chronic pain management. So that means uh, people who have pain and they need management of opioids, need management of drugs, diagnosis of pain, and also treatment of pain. So um, what led to the, uh, me um, doing this um, project is the fact that most people who come to me asking for opioids, they come early, or they come in with a story saying that the pharmacist didn't give them their drugs completely, or their wife or child or husband took their pills or wife took their pills. So I had no way to monitor opioids. So I wanted a solution so I can better take care of my patients, prevent them from abusing and becoming addicted to opioids. So you have patients walking into your practice who are in pain, real honest pain, and you're helping them with opioids, but you saw that you were suspicious that there was something, maybe something going on that didn't seem quite in the up and up. Is that correct, more or less? Yes, that's correct. When a patient comes to me two weeks early and says, doctor, I don't have any more opioids. The pharmacist didn't give them to me. I need another prescription. And they would have small pupils and they would be a little sluggish in their speech. So I assumed that they were abusing opioids and needed more. They were also, when I didn't give them opioids, they were very anxious and angry. So I think that they would possibly abusing or becoming addicted to opioids. So you saw this as a real problem going on in the world and we read about it in the news quite a bit. And so what did you develop or what did you, what, what are you doing now to help that crisis? Well, I was going to work one day and I thought about my car fob. Only I can use my car with my car fob. And I went to go to the bank because we were going to do something later that evening, and I had to use an ATM card and a personal code. So why can't I develop something like that for opioids at home? In the hospital and in pharmacies and even in my office, opioids are triple locked in a secure location. When patients take their opioids at home, it's free. Yeah, There's no one telling them. Child-proof cap that you just pop off, and you've got, a, you've got all of your pills right away if you want to sell them or use them, right? Right. One in four opioid overdoses now, today, is with children. And children are smarter these days. 
they could pop open that pill very easily. It was never meant to prevent adults from abusing drugs. So you, child- de- so you developed a, 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 a product or a, a, a package, I guess, that the opioids would go into that have to describe what that package is or what's unique about that. Well, we use a person's own cell phone. No one loses their cell phone. It's a fingerprint, facial recognition, and personal code. That means that only the person who I prescribe opioids to are going to be able to access opioids in the prescribed uh, uh, prescription. That phone wirelessly connects to the dispenser. That dispenser, if it is tampered, it will break down the pills. It will actually destroy the pills. So you can't get more than prescribed. So it's, it's like that uh, Mission Impossible thing where the, uh, the envelope uh, burns <laughs> after the mission has been told then, right? It just it self-destroys if someone tries to tamper with it. That's right. In fact, I'm trying to make a dent in the 3.3 billion unused opioids that actually enter our cities every year. Wow, that that's makes- a huge amount. You know, it's huge. 60 to 70% of the people who abuse opioids don't have a prescription for prescription opioids. Wow. So with your system then, someone uses their iPhone, uh, facial recognition, it sends a signal, Bluetooth signal, I imagine, to the box where the pills are that they just picked up from you or for the pharmacy. It then opens that box up and only drops out one pill at a time? Or what, what, how, what, how does this, what, what goes on then? Well, the box is never opened. Okay. Because anyone can actually break into a box. But I went one step further thinking ahead. What happens if you destroy the pills? And they won't want to break in. So the pills are sent out of the um, dispenser through a small little um, uh, uh, tunnel. And you can't get any more except those uh, prescribed. It's like a Pez dispenser then. Well, I kind of like it to be called a super highfalutin Pez dispenser. <laughs> okay. All right. But one little pill drops out when the iPhone tells it uh, to recognize the person at the right time, a pill drops out. So it pre- prevents misuse and prevents someone breaking into it because then it destroys all the pills in there. Is that right? That's correct. That's wonderful. So where are you now, John, in this? You've got this designed. I imagine it's patented and it's ready to go to market, or is it in market or testing right now, regulation? Where is it in the life cycle right now? We have three patents covering the iPill platform, the iPill app, the iPill platform, the connection, the destruction of the pills. Um, we are a class one FDA registered product. We have a reimbursement scheme because on August 31st, CMS said that they would cover reimbursement of FDA designated breakthrough products, which the iPill is. We are ready to produce products for two purchase orders. We are raising funds to make sure that we can produce those products. So we're ready to commercialize. Great. So I know generally on this show, I have folks who are on who have, are, have revenue going on and, are, and are, you know, have businesses that are running. I know you've got 18, 20 people working for you on this project right now. However, I, I want to mention to the audience, I felt so strongly that what you're doing is such a good cause. I wanted to get your story out there uh, about what you're doing to prevent this huge or help make a dent in solving this huge problem out there. But John, what are, what are some of those challenges that you have had along the way toward bringing this wonderful product to market? 
Well, one of the biggest products is, you know, being a startup, I'm doing, I'm, I think outside the box. And not, if you get a lot of people who actually do the same job and they don't want to think of outside the box and they're very comfortable where they are, it's hard because you have to re-educate them in thinking a different way. The opioid crisis is 20 years old and the overdose rate keeps on increasing every year because so we, we've been doing the same thing over again. We just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. And so you're trying to come up with a new creative out of the box solution to this, to this problem of overdose of opioids. Right. You know, the end user of opioids is not the patient, it's the pharmacy. So I'm taking the last mile of security between the pharmacy and the patient by making a secure box, by making sure that only the, pa the, the patient can take only a certain amount of drugs. I'm making it the continuity of care from the hospital all the way to the patient's home. So John, in that last mile, what is the challenge that you're facing? Is it, are they regulators? Are they pharmacies? Are they doctors? Are there pill companies? I mean, where is the struggle or the, or the rub uh, to get to that last mile? Oh my gosh, there are so many issues. Regulatory, NIDA, NIH, they have a lot of issues in terms of treatment of addicts or people with opioid use disorder. There's a lot of people, they need to treat those people. Their focus has not been on prevention, even though it's been 20 years and even though the opioid overdose rate has gone up every year. Uh, their concept is the end user is the pharmacy. So after the pharmacy, they just let the patients decide. The next thing is the doctors. You know, doctors were told that pain is a fifth vital sign, so they've been writing opioid prescriptions. Most doctors didn't do that, but the regulatory bodies have said that pain is the fifth vital sign. All patients should get opioids. Wow. And so there's a lot more being, being prescribed out there then in the world. So John, what, what are the, what, how are you overcoming some of these challenges, especially dealing with the regulatory bodies that are out there that are created around a different paradigm? And what do you, how, how are you overcoming these challenges? Well, I'm, I have to trust and verify what I think. So I have consultants that I go to. I have to trust them and verify how they think and then apply it to what I'm doing. So I have to think several steps ahead. If this person says this, if this person says that, what do I do in case? Because as you know, as you solve one problem, two or three problems pop up. It's a constant battle to solve problems. And if I can think many steps ahead, I can be more efficient in solving problems. So can you give us a quick example of what that, how that, what, what happened recently in real life where you had to trust but verify a situation where someone said something? I have patients who are on opioids for a long time. I wrote a prescription that, was, that the patient took to the pharmacist. The pharmacist decided they did not want to fill it. They thought that the opioid amount that I wrote was too large. Then the pharmacist called me and said, how come you're writing this prescription? You know, we have a, the CDC says that we can only write for 90 MMEs. And I said, this patient has been on opioids for 10 years, the same dose, and has not increased or decreased their dosage. This is a person that's dependent, not addicted, not abusing. 
And I told the pharmacist, if you don't fill it, they could go into withdrawal. As a pharmacist, how do you treat withdrawal? I've done my job. I've written for this uh, opioid prescription for this patient. We need to work together so we can make sure you know me. I'm not a pill mill. I'm a doctor that cares about my patients. Please fill the prescription so my patient can get pain relief. So, John, how will the eye pill dispenser enter into that conversation or enter into that uh, scenario? So now that if the eye pill dispenser is out and available right now and you have that on the market, how will that change that, that story? Well, then the pharmacist understands that they're not going to be at risk. You know, when a patient overdoses and dies, they, the lawyers sue the doctor and the pharmacist. So in, those, in that situation now, because the patient can only get a set amount of drugs per day, only as prescribed, then the pharmacist gives the eye pill to the patient, I write the prescription. We are safer because we, we are less liable because now the patient can only get the drugs as prescribed. I see. So it's not only beneficial for the patient for obvious reasons, but it's beneficial for the pharmacist and for the doctor prescribing it because if, an, if that patient does pass away, his lawyers then uh, will come after the pharmacist and come after the lawyer and uh, come after the doctor and the eye pill dispenser can prevent all of that from happening then. That's correct. That's wonderful. So why isn't it out there now? I mean, what's preventing it from being out in the world tomorrow? Regulatory issues. <laughs> Uh, I need funding. Um, we are, we have the ability to think ahead. So in the event that this takes off, I can make and manufacture one to 2 million units per day. So you're ready to manufacture one to 2 million units per day. You need money, of course, to do that. But what's the regulatory issue that's holding you up? I and mean, what, what, what could, if, is it just one or two doors to knock on? Or is it 200 doors you have to knock on and get approval on? Well, it's actually... Part of it is um, this, everyone wants data. So I, I'm doing my pilot studies, but that takes money. I tried to go through and get non-dilutive funding from the government through NIDA NIH, but um, I understand their issue. They want data. Um, they're also con more concerned about treating patients than preventing patients from getting uh, addicted or abusing drugs. Um, there's a lot of issues within NIDA NIH right now. There's a HEAL initiative. Part of the problem is people need to treat the human factor and also the pills. There's no technology out there that combines the two except for the eye pill. Hmm. Wow. I mean, it seems, I don't know the industry that well or what your competition is doing, but I mean, what, what, what else is out there that they're saying, well, John, we can't do this. We can't approve this right now because we're going down this other road or because we have another method. Is it anything like that? Or is it just because, I mean, why can't someone just say yes to what you're doing and move ahead? Well, you know, um, even the government agencies, they asked me for my commercialization plan. How am I going to bring this to market? How am I going to make money? I really want science to support this. I don't want money to support this to save lives. I kind of, you know, I'm still a doctor. And when you have science supporting this, that means science won, not money. But real world evidence, I have to make sure the science wins. I have to make sure the investor wins, the government wins. I have to make sure money is there 
for commercialization because apparently that's what a lot of people are worried about in the government. Right, right. Well, it would drive it, but it does seem like it's, it's a product that could be made cost-effectively at that volume and sold and sustain itself from programs or from simply, you know, I mean, just making a dent in that huge opioid crisis would solve a lot of problems. And aren't there other in, unintended consequences to this crisis as well that's costing, that are costing quite a bit of money and lives? Yeah, this is a pill problem. And that's the impression that uh, NIDA, NIH, and the government policymakers have an idea. It's not just a pill problem. You look at the COVID epidemic, the pandemic. In the COVID pandemic, people seek refuge in something that's going to decrease their stress, alcohol, opioids. Opioid, the opioid overdose rate went up 18% in March, 29% in April, and 42% in May. Wow. And we haven't done anything. We're still trying to decrease pills. We're still trying to make, you know, the doctors are prescribing too much. Let's put them in jail. Right. Um, they're trying to push Suboxone, Narcan. Those are pills. But understand that from the COVID pandemic, people make a decision to take pills. You have to look at treating the person and treating the pills together. And right. this is what the iPill does. Right. We have cognitive behavioral therapy apps. We have apps to help behavior. And we also manage the pills. Wow. Wow. That's wonderful, John. And you have a whole team of people working with you in your company now to get through these regulatory bodies to make it happen as quickly as possible. It would, do you think we'll see something in 2021? I would like to fulfill my purchase orders by the end of the year. Every day, 120 people sorry, 130 people die of an overdose. Wow. And to me, it's on my back because I'm really trying my hardest to make sure we bring something out to prevent those deaths. Right, right. I mean, people that, you know, COVID, uh, the, the solutions, vaccines, everyone seems to be working on that. That's big in the news these days, but opioid has been around for so long, it seems to be lost in the news cycle. And yet it's just as important as any other uh, problems that we have here affecting our health in the country. That's right. And, you know, above all else, if people understand, this is a cultural issue. Just not, it's not just about pills. I'm a fan of history. In the opium wars in the 1830s and 1850s, the Chinese population was so afraid of taking opioids because they would shame the family that they will tolerate pain so they don't get addicted to opioids so they don't shame the family. Wow. When I see patients today, I have patients who are Asian, Chinese, from different countries. Doctor, don't give me very much opioid. I don't want to get addicted. Wow, that's incredible, John. John, what an amazing story you have and a great company. If anyone wanted to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? Well, I'm very open. Uh, my email address is the best way, john at ipilldispenser.com. That's the best way to get a hold of me. And uh, I am a communication promptness person. So if you email me, I will email you right back. Fantastic. John, thanks so much for sharing your story on the podcast. And we look forward to your uh, future successes. Don, thank you very much for having me. I think we'll be friends. And the, the, this is a big project. The more friends we have, the more this project will become successful. Great. I'm, I'm sure it will be. Thank you, John. Thanks for bringing that to light. Hey, thanks for listening to My Company Story. 
We have new episodes coming out every week, so please subscribe if you like this. And if you'd like to hear previous episodes, you can go to mycompanystory.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, if you or someone you know would be interested in coming on the show, please email me at don at burge.com. Thanks for listening.